And so I hired for the cruise ships, small cruise ships, and the expeditions. And so I was able to, I really felt like I was touching them with a magic wand and saying, here, here's your opportunity to go do an experience and live on an in a, on a boat, and we were charted by Smithsonian, World Wildlife Fund, National Geographic, so they were all natural history trips. And okay. they'd say, come work on a ship for six months, save your money, and off they did. So I did the human resources, and I hired and managed and um, did that administration. And then after five and a half years, I just said, that's it. I need to get away, and I took an art class. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to episode 184 of the Camino Voice. Today, I speak with the featured Artist of the Month for August of 2023. Please welcome Barbara Noonan. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Camino Voice podcast, where I interview local business owners, comedians, singers, and more. I dive into their backstory to find out how they got where they are, what are some of the tips for you to do the same, and find out where they are going. Tune in every week as I interview more of the people you see every day. Hey, Yellanders, and welcome to another episode of the Commando Voice, where we release a new episode sometimes on Tuesday. <laughs> I can only say that because we are coming back off of a two-week break, uh, and we are returning with a featured Artist of the Month episode. Um, but before we get into that, how was your guys' week? Uh, how have things been going for you? I uh, hope you guys had a great 4th of July, because I think I was going over that time. Yes, I was. Um, and uh, I just wanted to give you guys a quick update. We um, So I've, I've recently brought on a VA, which is a virtual assistant, which for anyone who uh, d- doesn't know who that is, I mean, I think it's self-explanatory with that name. But yeah, just basically someone that is um, virtually there to kind of work in as an executive assistant. Um, the benefits of hiring one through a company uh, is usually that you don't have to, uh, you know, if you don't know how much workload there is there, you don't have to bring them on full time right away. Um, whereas if you hire someone that's a, an executive assistant, typically they need full time or, or, you know, a certain amount of hours a week. Uh, and because I don't know where I'm at on that, I wanted to go with this service and um, try that. So uh, if anyone's interested, um, I'm currently using Belay uh, and they have a really good program where they help onboard you. You've got a handler on top of the VA or alongside the VA. So if you have questions, if you have, uh, you know, like can a VA do this or what are some of the best ways to utilize a virtual assistant, um, you can do that. Um, So anyways, uh, I went through their service um, and so far it's been a really good experience. Um, And so uh, at some point I may actually have her on the podcast just to get a perspective of what's it like to be a VA and kind of that in case anyone's interested in that as well. Um, so, uh, but, uh, the reason I'm bringing all of this up is because I have handed off the, uh, scheduling of podcasts to her. So she's been reaching out to a ton of people, um, to get me lined up. So I don't run into the, oh, I forgot to schedule someone this week, which is what typically happens. Um, so hopefully the podcast will be more consistent. Uh, will be coming out on a weekly basis, just like we've had it. And um, yeah, so I just wanted to give you a quick update on that because um, that way you guys were aware of, of what's where I am uh, and what's going on. So uh, anyways, I'm excited to be back in the seat. 
Um, I've got this podcast, and I have another one that I've uh, interviewed. And like I said, we have a ton more coming down the pipeline. So we are, we're looking good for the future. The future of the, the podcast looks good for now. I also want to be up, uh, I want to look at updating my, um, what is it? The, the logo, sort of, but kind of want to add in um, maybe a different profile picture and stuff like that. So I'll, I'm working on stuff. Um, that'll, that'll hopefully be coming down the pipeline as well. So anyways, like I said, uh, again, um, I'm back in it. So please be sure to share, subscribe, do all the things with this podcast that you can. Um, and uh, if you want to uh, talk about uh, this is a, now like, uh, what, two, two, three weeks ago. Um, but I did actually have Kyle Bingham, who uh, is a uh, or at least was a team member of the Ocean Gate. Um, and so he talked about their their first voyage down to the Titanic and, and all of this stuff that went on there. Um, and so obviously that has been in the news, um, Ocean Gate and all the stuff going on. Um, but anyways, if you want to catch up on a little bit of that, just a history of that before anything happened, you know, anything bad happened, um, you can be sure to check out that podcast. Um, and uh, I don't remember the episode number, but I will have that linked in the show notes below. So... Uh, all right, this podcast, I get to speak with Barbara Noonan. And one thing I love about interviewing people is that people are fascinating and they have so many other facets to them than the thing that you're diving into. So I went into this podcast thinking, okay, here we go. We're going into Artist of the Month. We're going to talk about art styles and you know techniques and things like that. And uh, we get into her history and she had a long history in the tourism uh, thing, uh, uh, field, industry. There we go. Um, and so that was, it was really interesting hearing about that. Uh, we talked about um, her working in a remote island in Alaska. Um, she did some cruise ship tours, uh, including one that was around Tahiti, uh, which if you remember, I went to the beginning of this year. So that was kind of fun. Uh, Tahiti is not some, some, a place that uh, most people just go. Uh, so that was fun. And, um, but then she also moved from that into a uh, human resources uh, director role uh, where she was doing the hiring for multiple different cruise ships. Um, and she said, you know, she, she really learned how to hone her ability to ask good questions during the interview. Because when you're hiring for someone for a cruise ship, you're not just hiring someone that is going to... Um, be someone that you're going to work with and then you go home and clock out. You guys are basically roommates. You're, uh, she says it as siblings and then your coworkers. So you're like three different things. Um, and so you have to live with each other. Like you can't, if you have a, a frustrating day with that person, you don't go home and, and rant about it to your spouse. You are right there with them. Like they're who you're hanging out with after hours. So, um, I thought that was fascinating. We get into a few of her questions, and I really would like to have her back on the podcast where we focus more on that human resource side because that side is always fascinating to me. Um, and then we did get into the art side, and the way she does art is also very unique. So we're going to get into all of that and more into this episode. So I think you're going to learn a lot more out of this episode than you think. Um, so anyways, without further ado, here's my conversation with Barbara Noonan. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Camino Voice. Today, I'm here with the featured Artist of the Month for August 2023. Welcome to the podcast, Barbara Noonan. Hi, it's nice to be here. Thank yeah. you, Brandon. Awesome. Did I pronounce the last name right? Noonan, that's Noonan. correct. Okay, Whew. got it. In fact, it ties in well with my website title, Morning, Noonan, Night. 
<laughs> now it makes sense. Thanks. Very cool. Well, before we get started, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, I am originally from Massachusetts, but moved out to the Northwest in 82 and had no interest in art until I turned about 40 years old and then started taking art classes and um, was fortunate enough to go find the correct teachers and the right inspiration, and I did really well. But um, I am originally from Massachusetts, as I said, and I had a degree in medical technology. So I did hospitals and open-heart surgeries at Providence and Ballard and Seattle and left that to go into tourism. So I have a completely atypical uh, history, I would say. So the degree was in science. Then I drove tour buses in an Eskimo village in Alaska called Kotzebue, Alaska. Okay. And um, did natural history tours out on an island in the Bering Sea called St. Paul Island. Okay. So I did bird watching and hiking and trips. And then um, I worked on ships in small expedition ships in Tahiti and the Caribbean and up and down the East Coast. Okay. And so what happened is, is um, I took photos, I I was exposed to scenery a lot, and I became an avid photographer right off the bat. Yep. And those photos um, add to my art and allow me to just continue to make my art richer, and the compositions and the subject matters and everything, so. Awesome, very cool. All right, well, I actually, uh, earlier this year, my family and I, we actually did a trip to Tahiti. Oh, you did? Yeah. You, who'd you go with? Do you know? No, we ended up just going. Uh, there was one of those uh, flight deals. Yeah. Um, and we, we try and get away somewhere warm at, in January. Um, my wife, the seasonal depression stuff and all that. And so she was, uh, we were looking for a spot and we were looking in these other areas and they were pretty expensive. And then that deal came up and Brittany's like, what about Tahiti? And I'm like, never thought about that, but Sure. And what was your experience like? Uh, it was it was really neat. We um, we stayed. Ha- it was a uh, well nine days. We were actually on islands. Outstanding. The first half was on Morea. Yes. Right out right outside, and so that was really cool because it's that little bit more rural, and we just hung out at the beach. We were on a beach house there, uh, and then the second half of the trip was in Tahiti, in, in the main city there, mm-hmm. um, and uh, we were just hanging out there, um, and uh, yeah, it was it was really fun. Weather was great. Uh, fish was amazing. I mean, you got to see the people ride up with the bikes and yeah. sell the fish to the vendors, and the vendors would then pay them, and then they would cut the fish and clean it and serve it. So It sounds fantastic. And um, I was there um, seven months the first time and a couple of months different other times, also in the winter. Mm-hmm. And um, what was really great was you knew it was Tuesday. It was Bora Bora Day, and that was um, you just... It was a great life. We lived on a ship, and it went from island to island to island, and the passengers came from all over and um, joined us every Sunday. And like you said, the fish, the French baguettes, Mm -hmm. the French cheese, and the pineapple, and all the fresh fruit. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, and the blue blue water, which also feeds into my work sometimes because of that blue color, that turquoise. I'm always seeking that turquoise blue. Yeah. very yeah. cool. Oh, I'm glad you got to go. Yeah, it was somewhere I'd never thought about before, and um, yeah, definitely a really neat experience, neat area to be in. And Time to go to Alaska next. Yes. Um, all right, perfect. So, growing up in Massachusetts, then, um, you, what what kind of 
led you to medical? Um, <laughs> this isn't very precise, but um, I fell in love with someone and I was sure I wanted to get married. And so um, uh, I wanted to get the quickest degree I could. Well, that didn't work out. And I ended up going into lab, laboratory science. It's interesting because I always like science. But then to be able to look through a microscope and also work with patients, because I do have a people caregiving aspect of my life all the time. Mm -hmm. um, but looking in the microscope, I was able to see the cells. I could, I, um, I liked the detail, the biology, um, the microbiology. And um, so that's how I started into that. And then it's ironic. I um, only did it for a few years and then went right into tourism. <laughs> okay. How did that kind of transition, how did that come about? Well, at the time, the hospitals were starting to um, phase out employees, and they had something called, um, well, anyway, it doesn't matter what it's called. But um, I decided that I would take a leave of absence. And a friend of mine who was from Massachusetts had moved out to Seattle and had said to me, hey, I'm going to go drive tour buses up in Alaska. Do you want to join me this year? And I went... Oh yeah, I'll take a sick, I'll take a three month leave of absence. So I took a leave of absence, and there was no job when I went back. And I loved it. I I mean, people who are on vacation are happy. People are in hospitals are not so happy. No, so yeah, I got a chance to hike over the tundra and drive a tour bus and. Um, mind you, old 59 Fords and 60 tour buses over into the rubble. And anyway, it was wonderful. <laughs> Very and cool. um, and then that company also had ships, and so I worked in. Um, I asked if I could go on the Tahiti run, and they did. They put me as an expedition cruise director. Okay. Yeah. Very so, cool. Yeah. And you mentioned in, the, in Alaska, you said you did one of the islands. You did was a bird watch. You did like a. Yes. Is that the like the main? I don't know if there's a main one in Alaska, but there's one I've heard about, and I don't know, remember its name. But that, like every year, it has a lot of birds that are hard to find elsewhere. Yes. It, well, very well done. Um, yeah. Ironically, it's called St. Paul Island, and the adjacent island is St. George Island. Okay. We're going to jump ahead, but I'm going to also tell you that we live in St. George Island, Florida, in the winter, so there's the small <laughs> story. But St. Paul Island is in the middle of the Bering Sea. Okay. It's about 650 residents. I was... Ooh. The other blonde with glasses, there was Phyllis and me, and the rest of them were natives and a few um, Caucasian people that were there doing research through the um, National Marine Fisheries. But people would go out on these tours and spend three, four, five days at a time and bird watching to see whatever had flown over from Russia and blown into the island, so they were rare birds they could add to their North America list. Yeah. And also, um, we looked at seals, uh, fur seals that were in um, harems there, and I did botany, and I'd hike until 11 o'clock or midnight at night because it was still light out, and I could. It was the best experience ever. That's Absolutely crazy. wonderful. And so we gave tours, and it was like my favorite job. I got to work one-third of the time, I got to research one-third of the time, and I got to hike one-third of the time, and I, I was in heaven. Nice. How was that for you being, uh, like, very secluded in a fairly, I mean, not fairly, very rural, like, 
wilderness kind of area. How was that for you? Well, because I knew I was going to be there just for the summers, Mm -hmm. I think I handled it a lot better than if it was year-round. Yes. And I had the freedom of being in a vehicle that I could take over the country and around the island. A lot of islanders, believe it or not, would stay in town and wouldn't even go to the other side of the island except for once or twice a year. Okay. I don't think, maybe that's true here on Camino. I don't know. I bet there's some people that don't get to every corner of the island every year. Yes. But um, I loved it. I, um, I fell into a world that, I think because the island had a periphery and I had to learn the information for just this island, I felt like it was a container and wealth of information that I could dive into and really learn about well and teach about it. And so it worked out well for me being there. That's awesome. And mind you, the island, when you flew in, you flew in onto a runway that they had to make sure the reindeer weren't on the the runway. And then um, the bus was that we drove was the um, departure lounge and the receiving lounge because there was no building at the airport. Yeah. And the weather was so bad that you never knew whether you were going to get uh, a flight in or not. Yeah. So anyway, it, it, w- it pushed people into an environment immediately. They'd come in from New York and they'd land here and they were worried about their luggage. And it's like, no, 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 you got to go see nature. It was fantastic. Nice. Very cool. Yeah, we've, um, uh, was it last year, maybe the year before, um, I went with two of my friends to uh, Kodiak, Alaska. Oh, fantastic. Uh, his mom grew up on Kodiak, actually. Wow. Uh, and so their family has a cabin out there. Uh, but yeah, we flew in, and the, that's what he was telling me before we, we went there. He's like, you know, sometimes it does take a couple, like sometimes you don't get in the first day. Uh, because, yeah, if the weather's not good, then you turn around. And so actually with our, we both got in just fine because we were in together. Um, the next day when we were supposed to pick up our friend, uh, his flight got delayed by a day because we, and we were watching, we were watching him fly in circles. We're like, just come down. <laughs> and yeah. then they, they took off and had to do it the next day. So, um, yeah, it, you just, you know, you can't control nature. Which is good because when we're out of control, we're going to learn something new. And yeah. I think that's, I think it's a great experience. Yeah. I think that's something as I've gotten older, uh, in lots of circumstances, maybe it's because when you're young, you're, everything's fast and you have to get there and you have to do these things. But um, I feel like any, if anything happens, whether it's an emergency or just something out of the ordinary or whatever, I'm always at the point in my mind where I'm like, if it, something happens and it delays us by whatever, it's fine. Like, we'll figure it out. We can figure out the next step. We can do whatever. Um, well... You, the bus would break down in the middle of the tour and you're on the other side of the island and you'd have to climb to the hill where you could find and you had a, um, a handheld radio, a marine radio and you know, you'd call up and say uh, you know, you'd call the mechanic and everyone on the island was listening and you would hear them go ha 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 and, you know, and they'd have their own language and I, they'd be like, she's stuck again and I'd be like, yeah, could you just send them over to pick me up passengers are just waiting you know so yeah but it made for good story for them because when they were inconvenienced and they had a story they could tell oh yeah and our bus got stuck in the sand blah 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 yeah very cool life is all about rolling with the punches yes yeah yeah so then um then you start doing uh the tourism with tahiti in that area 
Um, what kind of led you back to, uh, well, either here or, or you mentioned Florida. Uh, what did you do? How did you get out of the tourism group and then kind of uh, well, move on from there? I um, was fortunate enough to go into the human resources aspect of the tourism industry. Mm-hmm. And so I hired for the cruise ships, small cruise ships, and the expeditions. And so I was able to, I really felt like I was touching them with a magic wand and saying, here, here's your opportunity to go do an experience and live on, an, in a, on a boat. And we were charted by Smithsonian, World Wildlife Fund, National Geographic. So they were all natural history trips. And okay. they'd say, come work on a ship for six months, save your money. And off they did. So I did the human resources and I hired and managed and um did that administration. And then after five and a half years, I just said, that's it. I need to get away. And I took an art class. Okay. And that's how I took an art class. I was in Seattle by this time. Okay. And um, and so I took an art class and it, it was like, wow, maybe I have some talent here. And um, that's how I started into the art. Awesome. So what was that first art class then? The first art class was drawing on the right side of the brain. Okay. It's a common class that they tell people, if you think you can only draw stick figures, <laughs> try this book. That's and what it's, I do. Yeah, well, you know what? <laughs> I didn't think I could draw either. I mean, I was a photographer, but um, I picked up a sketchbook and I started sketching. And then this class, I took it as a class, um, it puts you through exercises that makes you realize things are shapes. You don't have to draw exactly. It, anyway, it shifts your ma- mindset from that left side of your brain, which is more um, numbers and words, to the right side of your brain where you lose yourself. You know how sometimes you're doing something and you lose track of time? Mm-hmm. That's what art is. Okay. It's shifting to the right side of the brain and letting that creativity flow. Yeah. And um, so I learned how to do that, and that was my first class, and it was like, okay, and then I just kept taking more classes and more classes as they presented, and I highly recommend it for other people, too. Nice. Very cool. So then, um, as you were getting into art, um, I'm assuming that class, you, you dove into a lot of different mediums in that class. Is that true? Actually, ironically, the class that I found myself gravitating towards portraits. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it had to do with all of the people I saw in Tahiti, Alaska, the Caribbean. Yeah. And I did a lot of photography of faces. And then I did human resources. So I was interested in their stories and the interviews and everything like that. So I went and took a portrait painting class, and um, it was mostly just sketching, and I was trash. I was terrible at it, and um, I kept it up. And then somebody in one of my classes said, you know, you're pretty much a natural with pastel. You should try that. And I thought, oh, okay. But I've tried gouache, which is an opaque watercolor, and I learned how to mix color in those classes. Yeah. I've taken painting. I've painted in oils. Um, I've painted in acrylic. Um, I've mi- worked with mixed media, where you're um, scraping and throwing almost anything at a piece of paper or a piece of surface. But I keep going back to pastels because it's immediate. Um, it's dry. That uh, you don't have to wait for it to dry. Yeah. 
and you, it's portable, and I can take it almost anywhere I go. Okay. And, so I, and, and the papers are better, too, so that's how I got into it. But I do love all other mediums, and, um, and especially photography. I still do that. Nice. Very cool. Do you do photography? I don't. Uh, in fact, I struggle to just remember to take photos of you know my kids and my family and stuff when we're on vacation or elsewhere. So, Is there another person in your family that's the photographer? No, the downside is that both my wife and I are both actually bad. <laughs> it's time to hand your children cameras yes. or phones. They, uh, they each have their own little like things. Like One of my daughters has a watch that can take photos, uh-huh. but it can hold like... 30 photos. Oh, yeah, never mind. So she's constantly deleting them and then, and her, yes. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, well, we're still searching for that. Okay. But um, very cool. Well, so um, you, you touched on this, and, and uh, we'll get back to the art in just a minute. Um, but over that time period that you were doing uh, human resources and you were hiring, um, you know, a lot of people, I would say, especially in this area, a lot of their businesses are retail or customer facing. Yes. And um, so you're looking for that like hospitality kind of side to it. What were things that stood out to you? I mean, that's a long time to be interviewing a lot of people constantly. What were things that stood out to you as things that you were like, these components seem to make a really good team member versus these ones are red flags where I would decide probably not? Absolutely. I develop my own interview questions. Okay. And um, I will be honest, I had an excellent track record. Um, I had to hire people to not only work on the ship, but live on the ship and stay on the ship. So they had to be an employee. They had to be a sibling almost. Yeah. And they had to be a roommate. Mm -hmm. And I I said to them when I would talk to them, I said, I'm putting you with my friends and you better I want to make sure you're a good match not you better get along but (laughs) you you have to make sure you're a good match and so I had a lot of screening questions and I spent longer than most anyone would spend in an interview but I created a comfort that after an hour they would spill their guts and I'd be like great because now I get the background story and it takes longer I also um checked references a lot. Yes. I was really good at being investigative on how to get, even if they said they not allowed to give out information, I was able to get them to reveal information, and I was very proud of my techniques. <laughs> it wasn't illegal. It was very by the board, but yeah. Um, but yeah, getting to them to find out what works for teamwork, what works for bosses, what kind of bosses motivate them. I, I had a whole good series of questions and then as far as roommates I used to say that if I was ever going to interview for a roommate I'd like to see what their car looks like because how their car looks oh, is dear. how they're going to maintain <laughs> their their living situation so oh, very cool what were the the basis of your interview questions were they um... oh I think he's trying to find professional business Are you you trying to find questions for your staff? Just kidding. Yeah, well, always. I'm always looking for different ways because I've uh, I've adjusted my like I have a a printout um, of interview questions that I always go through, and um, I'm always looking for other ones. Oh, Um, I got one for you. Okay. What makes a team work well? Okay. And they, in once they tell you what a team makes a team work well, and if you do hire them, you go back and you bring out the interview questions and you say. 
this is what you said makes a team work well. How does that work for you? How are you doing? Um, describe a perfect boss. What do you like in a boss? Mm. Do you want someone who's hands-off? Do you want somebody who's more in your business? Do you want someone who's going to be um, um, coddling you a lot? You'll know. Right. How do, what motivates you? Yeah. You know? Do you, are you motivated by wage? Are you mo- you know listen to what motivates them? Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Well, and that one is really interesting because um, over the last, I mean, really starting kind of with millennials, um, when you listen to the people that are in that field still, a lot there's a lot of complaining of like, well, they don't know how to work and they don't know how these basic things like how to sweep a floor sometimes or these different things. But one of the benefits I think that the millennial and the generations past them we've been finding is they're not motivated by just money. Which That's on one right. hand, absolutely, you're like, well, that was the easiest like lever because you know it's a yes or a no. Right. But they're they're motivated by your mission. They're motivated by their beliefs. Um, they're motivated by the team of around them. Um, their social aspects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I know. It's a different hiring world than I had. Yeah. When I was hiring them, it was uh, back in the 90s. And as and I hired in both economies, economies where it was um, limited in how many people I could find to do the job. I mean, mind you, I'm hiring people at that time to work for $25 a day plus tips. Whew. However, and they were working 12-hour days, six months was one day off a week. However, they got room and board yeah. for free and, um, and free uniforms. And so they were able to suck their money away. It, the motivation is different for everyone. But once the team got together and also the environment and what they got to see and do and experience, that helped. I also did team-building exercises and things like that or... Um, Management is always hard too. Yeah, um, yeah, so. yeah. This is definitely where I spent probably most of my time since uh, taking over the business has really been focused on the people, uh, and and that side because that's what takes the most time. Uh, it's uh, you know it's, uh, some business owners that, uh, have said like people are your highest highs and your lowest lows, and they really are. Um, when you see someone hit that next level and succeed, it is there's not really a feeling like it. Yeah. And when you have to let someone go because they're not performing or it's just not a good fit. Also, nothing like it. (laughs) Do you know what, though? Think of it as setting them free Mm -hmm. because this isn't a good place for them. Set them free to go do something else somewhere else because someone's going to have to... They're going to find something else. Yeah. Another thing is is I really was proactive in um, evaluations. Some people say, we'll evaluate you at six months, we'll evaluate it a year, and then they never get around to it. And we all want to be recognized. Yeah. And we all want to be, have time to tell our story and our version of it. I also did exit interviews. Yes, yes. And that helped a lot because it's what you do with the exit interview information too. But it, it helps. It makes you see from their perspective what what's going on. Right. No, I always try and do that. And especially if someone is... Uh, quitting or leaving for others. Yeah. Um, because that's where, you know, you're like, you've got nothing left, left to lose. Just tell me yeah, but, everything you think. But even the ones that are leaving for the right reasons, mm-hmm. they're valuable too. They're going to yeah. tell you exactly what did work for them and what yeah. didn't. And 
yeah, no, it's helpful. Yeah, very cool. Well, thank you for, for jumping into that. I know we were focusing on the art, but um, yeah. No, I, I was very proud of my human resources record. And um, yeah, I, but I get you. It's really hard. It's a, it's a challenging profession. Yep. Awesome. So jumping back into the art then, when you started working with pastels, um, you've mentioned like why you in, like it as a medium. What was it that really, I guess, kind of meshed with you when you started painting with them? Um, one thing about soft pastels, you can mix the color, but you, especially when you're beginning, you mix the color. But nowadays I can buy a series of colors so that I don't have to take the time to mix it. Mm-hmm. I know how to mix colors, and I think that's important for every artist to learn. But with pastel, it's, it's, um, you can grab a stick and then grab another stick and make a mark, make a mark, make a mark. You don't have to take the time to mix it onto the brush and then put it onto the um, surface. Um, I also, I remember um, feeling the textural part of it. Um, I had a model that was bald, and um, as I was... Um, uh, blending the pastel on the paper. I have my fingers on the paper while I'm talking to you. But as I was blending (laughs) the colors on to match the color of his scalp, I felt like I was almost touching him (laughs) because it was, with pastel, you try and make your marks, the shape and the roundness of the form. And so you're, I don't know, there's just something about it. Yeah, so it's it's textural as well as visual. It's, oh yes, oh yeah. And it's also, um, I work in mediums, um, it's a particular medium, but I work in papers that I can um, literally hose it off or take a scrub brush to it and wash it all off and start again, and it stains the paper, but I can go back and work on it again. Okay. And so I've chosen supplies that it can't be too dear. I can wash it off and start again. Okay. And pastel allows me to do that. Same as oil painting, you just scrape it off, but... Yeah. Nice. Very cool. So, um, can you walk us through kind of your creative process? Oh, in a, in how many hours do you have? <laughs> um, in general, right now, I'm I'm uh, working from photos. I worked from life for most of my life um, in my art career. I would out. I, in fact, it it has informed me because I've been able to go out plein air painting for years and years and. Um, seeing the light, the color, the texture, like I'm looking over your shoulder right now at a tree behind you and staring at the shapes and lights and values and darks. And um, So my process is um, I take a photo and I manipulate the crap out of it in Photoshop elements. Okay. I don't want to paint the ordinary. I want to paint something a little extraordinary. Yeah. And I'm going to push the colors. I'm going to use filters. I'm going to turn it around. I'm going to flip it horizontally. I'm going to stretch it. I'm going to um, distort it. Um, I'm going to just manipulate everything about it. And then I work in a square format now for the most part. So then I cut it and crop it into a square, and then I go into the um, sketching of it. The first thing I do is, is I sketch it out 
so that I know where my lights and darks are in a little thumbnail, just a small two inch by two inch square. And I'll do several versions of that, moving the horizon line up or down or um, moving where the basic big shapes are in one area of the square. And then I, um, once I've got a small version of it that I'm, I like, and it's in two values typically, white and black, then I then go on to paint it. And I choose the paper. Is it going to be a, a small size? Does it need a larger piece of paper? And then I do some underpainting, and then I go in with the pastel. Does I don't know whether this yeah. makes sense. No, that, that sounds really neat. And I love that piece that... Um, I love how different artists have different processes in, in what they want to achieve with their art. Uh, and the fact you, you're talking about using the digital side of like create, recreating or, or, or manipulating what you want to make and then jumping to the painting, um, whereas there's a lot of people that are like, they'll call themselves purists and they're like, well, I'll just paint from this or they'll paint from that. Like, um, or there's abstract and there's different pieces, but I like how you're fusing kind of this abstract and realism together uh, into one thing. Yeah, it works for me. Um, there, I, I attended a fabulous workshop that um, doesn't exist any longer, but it was annually held in Taos. And basically what they said was, um, if you can have somebody catch someone's eye for longer than 12 seconds on a painting, then you've done it. You can paint everything every day, and we're all used to seeing that. But if I can stop you in your tracks and make you look at it and go, is that a flat shape or a dimensional shape? Why is that cow purple? <laughs> or why is the ear blue? Or um, why does that reflection go down there when there's no lake? Or um, anyway, so I want you to question what's in the composition. A lot of the pieces that I have in the show that's coming up here yeah. don't have all of these elements. This is a different... Uh, we'll talk about that series, I imagine, a little yes. bit. But, yeah. But um, I, am, I am the type of artist that when I go to critique sessions, um, the instructor would say to me, well, which personality are we working with today? Because <laughs> one day it would be abstracts another day it would be tight tight detail another time it would be um weird colors or black and white so i am not somebody that i ever want to be pigeonholed into they are this type of art and yet i am told people can say oh that's a noonan and they recognize it even though it's all different very cool it that's, is cool that's I'm, awesome yeah it's very cool yeah so, um, so another thing that we mentioned uh, earlier on is that you are both um, in the Pacific Northwest, but you're also in the southeast corner of the United States as well. Um, how does the, the switching between those two places kind of affect your art? I have um, studios in both locations. One's in my garage, one's in a back bedroom. Um, I am so fortunate because I am in the panhandle of Florida, so it's not in um, around the main uh, busy parts. We're in a very remote area. It's called, it's like the old Florida. It's called the Forgotten Coast. Okay. And um, 
I, um, the light is different. My palette is different. Yeah. Here we've got the rich, dark greens. They've got pine trees, but they're not the deep, thick forest. Yeah. Um, the skies are broodier here, although their skies are enormous there. That's something I've noticed is, is I see much more of the skies. Right. Um, I try and slip in a mountain, and there is absolutely not a mountain to be found in all of Florida. <laughs> it is flat, flat, flat. Um, in fact, I'm going to take a workshop on um, draw, uh, learning how to paint the surf and the luminosity of the surf because I, I can't master that yet. But there's marshes there yeah. like we have here. Um, the, you know, there's the change in fall colors. The, the grasses in the marsh change. Yeah. Um, but yeah, mostly I have to work lighter. I can work on a dark paper here in the northwest. And when I go to Florida, I have to swap to a light paper. Yeah. And I pack a lot more turquoise. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, and, and um, yeah, that was kind of... Also, when you're painting in the two different locations, do you feel like you have a different mood or, like, emotion or feeling when you're painting down there versus up here? No. I guess the biggest thing that I've noticed down there right now is is I have two painting groups that I paint with. Um mm. I don't have painting groups up here mm. yet. And maybe that'll come, and I'm looking forward to it. But right now I paint with um, a group of artists that work in all mediums on one day and another group that just work in pastel. And I always wanted silence in my studio. I was somebody that, you know, when I went to the library, I studied in quiet. And then I learned when I was down there that I don't have to have that silence. I can now play with it a little bit more because I think I have a skill level that's a little higher. Yeah. So, um, does my mind change? Yeah. I don't know. You just get lost in your art. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Well, and we spent some time in Charleston, South Carolina. Oh, fun. I've been there. Um, and it's, yeah, again, it's completely flat. It's, it's, it's funny how we, there's norms in each area that you live and you just are unaware of those things. Um, and so for us... When we were down there, yeah, the idea of a mountain is as weird as that is with the internet and everything that exists. People, you just don't have the concept of a mountain. Like you can see a photo of a mountain, you're like, yeah, that's a mountain. But they don't have the, the, the concept of like what it feels like when you look up and up and there's the mountain um, because it's just flat. And, and right. when we were talking with our you know, people there, um, it was hysterical because they would they would be like a little hill somewhere, you know, and people would drive for miles to see this hill. That's and right. Like it's a hill, it's a mountain. And like that's barely a hill. <laughs> no, they have to climb into the um, lighthouses to get any aerial perspective there, and they do. I mean, they have uh, lighthouse climbs every month in the full moon, and everyone runs up to the top to see a view. Yeah. My my brother lives in um, Sarasota, and he said. Well, I haven't done stairs in a long time because <laughs> or an elevator. We happen to be on a house that's um, like 12 feet up above because every, all the houses are built up high down there so that the water can go through if yeah. in case of hurricanes and things. So. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, it's a different environment, yeah. and it's wonderful. We're by the water there as well, um, and, um, yeah. I don't know. That's awesome. The boats are the boats. And yeah. The, and it's just the trees are a little different. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Very cool. 
Um, so yeah, so um, can, is there an experience um, or, or maybe a piece of art that challenged you artistically and, and after getting through that, you, you felt like you had really gone to the next level? Every time, all the time. No, it's not every time. There are some that I can whip through, and I know. You know, I admit it. I can say, oh, there's Mount Rainier. I can paint Mount Rainier or Mount Baker. Um, no, believe it or not, abstracts are the hardest thing to, to paint. Um, everyone says, oh, my kid could make that, and I dare them. It's, um, it's, it's hard, and it's challenging. Um, I might change my palette, and I might do it in colors that are odd, or I might do it in um, uh, size. I might say I'm going to go really large this time, and that's a challenge. Every year, I do something called my accomplishment list, and I look at all of the things I've accomplished over the year. Yeah, we should talk about that more if you want to hear a little bit yeah, more about that. Yeah, for sure. Because I've taught that workshop as well. But one of the things I do every year is, is I take at least two pieces that I have, that have challenged me or I am most proud of, and I put, take photos of those and I put that on the cover of the accomplishment list. And then attached to that, I have my list of things that I've accomplished for the year. Mm-hmm. And then I include... And I write down what it is. Was it size? Was it a new subject matter? Was it something that I won an award for and I was so proud of? Or, and that helped me a lot. So. Yeah. So where did you come up with the concept of the accomplishment list? That's that human resources in the background. I would watch people get passed over for um, promotions and or managers who would say to me, well, I, I want to go into another job. And I'd say, and I did it myself, and they wouldn't listen to me. So I said, here's what you need to do. For your review, you have to tell me what you've accomplished over the year, be it in your job or in your personal life or how it affects your job. And so I would come up with, how many shows did I enter this year for my art? How many awards did I win? How many um, shows did I not get into? How many um, techniques did I try this year? How many magazines did I read for my education or studies or classes that I took? Um, What did you sell? What didn't you sell? How many did you destroy so that you could make something else? Um, they, they, They put... There's a book called Fear and Art. They put two groups of um, students in a pottery class. And at the beginning of the class, at the semester, they divided them in two. Everyone on one side of the room, you're going to be judged on how many pounds of clay you use. Everyone on the other side of the room, you're going to be charged, you're going to be graded on your best piece. And we're going to see what comes out at the end. And it's the ones that worked pounds of clay who did the best work as opposed to the folks that had to focus on one piece that was their best piece. Yeah. So I try and work on a lot of work and then destroy a lot of work and work again and that's part of my accomplishment. So I look at all of I do it every year as a goal. I try to do it at the end of the year and that with that information what I've accomplished I can then set my goals for the next year like do I want to be in a new gallery? 
do I want to try a new medium? Hey, this sold, but this didn't. What do I want to do here? Do I want to try a new size? That's Does yeah. that help? That's super helpful. So a question I have, and I don't think I've ever asked this question before, when it comes to goal setting and things like that, um, we get crazy busy during the month of December because uh, we're retail. And I'm a big person wanting to set goals and do that. Um, and so I try and carve out a little time here and there. But what I find is it's usually between like December 25th and, you know, December 31st that I'm sitting down to be like, oh, shoot, I need to start doing goals. When do you find the time and when do you typically sit down to do your accomplishment list and, and look at your goals? I'm not as busy at the end of December. I'm down in Florida. I'm a little bit more relaxed. I am supplying artwork to two galleries down there and going to be teaching next year. But um, I do it when I need it. Usually I do it when I'm in a slump. Yeah. Because if I can look back and see what made me feel good, it takes me out of my slump. Yeah. So I do them often in July. Okay. In fact, I'm... It's on my list of things to do this week is, is to go through my accomplishments because huh, it's light out. I'm, I'm in a good place. Yeah. Why not write down what I've accomplished? And I take my calendar. I, you know, I taught this as a workshop. I would say to people, bring your calendar. If you're a visual person, bring photos of your work, what you've done. Um, uh, take the time to really think about different aspects of your job that you do. And, um, you know, how, what did I achieve in accounting? What did I achieve in, for you, maybe, hiring? What did I achieve in continuing education? All of those different categories of your job, and then look at that and go, wow, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. And then you can take that to your boss and say, you keep, I keep telling you I want to do this. Now I've proven to you. How much money have I saved the company? Yeah. I was always important. How much money do you save the company by your accomplishments? Yeah. Very so, cool. Yeah. If you need me to talk more about that, I can another time. Awesome. Yeah. I think we need to set up, like, do an art one, and then we need to do, like, a business podcast next. There you go. <laughs> business focused. Awesome. Well, tell me about the pieces that you are going to be bringing to the loft here for the show. I'm bringing paintings. No, I'm kidding. I'm bringing <laughs> paintings. Um this is a small collection. Um, uh, by the way, I, I need to preface this and tell you that I am represented on island as well at Matsky Fine Art Gallery, and I okay. have my artwork there. Nice. Um, and she, Carla, has been wonderful, mm-hmm. and I have artwork there at the same time. Nice. Um, but this particular collection of work, I went hiking two years ago in July into Mount Baker and Artist Point with a friend. And I was, I used to be a really very avid hiker and in great physical shape. And this one was humbling, but I took a lot of photos. And I've, I used the photos um, as a way to transport myself back into the mountains because I haven't had a chance to get in there but once this year. And so what I'm featuring is a series of trees lakes, waterways, and just vantage points up in the Pacific Northwest Mm. that I think are fantastic. They're loose. They're transcending. 
and I'm really pleased. And then there's one that's going to be slightly different, which um, is a Adirondacks chair and some flowers, and it reminds me of a place where I can sit and rest to think about what I'm going to paint next. Nice. <laughs> so very cool. There'll be um, there's small pieces and some expansive, and they will be perfect either individually or they'd even make a great set on a wall. So awesome. Series. Perfect. All right. Well, we like to end every podcast with some rapid fire questions. So the first one is what purchase of a hundred dollars or less have you enjoyed the most in the last three months? This is really easy. So on the um, Kamino Island studio tour, there's a woman by the name of Sally Chang. Yeah. Yep. And Sally's pottery is amazing. And so I picked up four plates um, that I use, they're plates kind of with a little curve to them, so they're a plate bowl. Yeah. And I adore them and use them all the time. And thank you, Sally. I love them. <laughs> awesome. All right. Who is the most influential person outside of your family in your life? Um, it's somebody who's deceased now, but his name was Bob Gerbracht, and he was my teacher in San Francisco, my art teacher. And he taught me how to measure and take the time to draw it properly before you then paint it. And he was exceptional. Awesome. All right. This is a fill-in-the-blank question. I know this is weird, but I've always wanted to blank. I have no idea how to answer that. Um, I laugh. I, always, I wear mismatched socks. I have all my life now. And so maybe I know it's weird, but I've always wanted to wear the same size, same color socks at the same time. Nah. I really don't. <laughs> All right. Uh, and we talked before the podcast that you didn't have an interesting person you wanted to throw out there. Um, so then the last question is, what piece of advice would you give your 20-year-old self? Travel. Travel is the best education. I also recommend um, try being a minority at least once in your life. Mm. Go live in a place where you can... Put all your feelers out. Use your sense of smell, sight, sound, hearing. Be humbled and watch and learn because once you do that, you're going to thrive in this world. But travel, great education. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. I hope it was uh, informative. (laughs) It was. I learned so much, not just about art, but about business. Uh, And for those listeners, be sure to check out um, Barbara's show. It's going to be here the third week in July through, I believe, the second or third week in uh, August uh, of 2023. And that's upstairs in the loft, upstairs in the marketplace. So um, awesome. And then we'll, of course, we'll link to uh, Barbara's website. Um, So it's in the show notes. So be sure to check out her stuff there. And I'm sure, um, do you have socials and stuff like that as well? Instagram, it's Barb Noonan, a uh, Barb dot Noonan, and um, Facebook, it's Barbara Noonan. Um, but mostly, I just use my website. Awesome. Well, we will have all of that linked in the show. Thank you, Brandon. Yeah, thank this you. This was fun. All right, and Islanders, I will talk to you on the next one. Well, a big thank you to Barbara Noonan for joining me on the podcast today, and thank you for listening. And I hope you guys got that. I hope you got uh, more out of this episode than you thought you were going to. Um, And of course, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It really does help us be found by other Islanders. Uh, And uh, yeah, with that, I will see you guys.